there from the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois. This is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I'm Andrew Hansen, along with Amber Servany. Father Dominic Rankin back with us for this podcast of why the church is wrong on marriage. <laughs> and we brought you in specifically because, tell me, make sure I have this right, you have a license in marriage and family life from the John Paul II Institute? Yeah, Cl- pretty close. much. <laughs> Theology of marriage and family. Theology, yeah. Yeah. all right. From Rome, um, so you are our uh, pseudo experts. I'm, I'm going to call you on, all right on marriage and family life. Uh, Let's which... see if I uphold the pseudo or the expert part of that today. <laughs> I said pseudo because I don't want to, you know, claim you're an expert. And, you know, we, we want to keep you humble sure. for now. Yeah, yeah, you know? keep me humble. <laughs> so you you were at the JP two Institute uh, after uh, you were after you became a priest. It was your it was your basically your first year of being a priest, and you were studying in Rome and did it. Uh, so before we get into why the Catholic Church is wrong on marriage, we got a whole source of, of issues. I know you're laughing at that at that title. I like but, yeah, you get going for the catchy uh, title. What what was this license about? What what did you learn about? And, and tell us about that. Sure. So um, the last two years that I studied there in Rome, one of which was my first year of priesthood, uh, were spent studying. It's called a license. It's sort of like a master's degree or something, right? So um, to sort of frame it in the terminology people understand, I suppose, basically. What I was covering there was all different pieces connected with John Paul II's vision of, of marriage and family. Uh, you see that especially in his theology of the body, in his in his letters, in his letter to women, in his in his writings to families and to fathers and everything. Um, obviously, all of that is pulling from the church's tradition, but the John Paul II suit takes its name from him because it wants to use his approach as kind of the starting point, and then okay. What does that look like philosophically? You know, like, what does that look like theologically, scripturally, sacramentally? You know, kind of taking the different aspects of our life of faith and looking at marriage and family through those different lenses. So, so we're glad you're here to give us uh, that incredible background where you learned from the JP2 Institute. So here, here's what we're going to talk about today. And we, we're titling Why the Church is Wrong on Marriage. Because when I say these issues, it's because so much our culture says the church is wrong. So we're going to talk about destination and outdoor weddings, why the church uh, where the church stands on that, uh, you know, why, why you have to get a priest permission if you want to marry someone who is non-Catholic but a Christian, why you need a dispensation from the bishop if you're going to marry a non-Catholic, practicing natural family planning, pre-Cana, why you can't live together. There's obviously a whole sorts of issues when it, when it comes to marriage and what the Catholic Church teaches that our culture says, the Catholic Church, you just got it wrong. So here's why we're going to tell you, we're going to go over these issues, but actually why the church is right. So we're going we're gonna to talk about destination weddings, outdoor weddings first, Father Dominic and Amber, because this is becoming so much more popular. Mm. I want to go to Cancun, uh, just a small little wedding. I'll get Bill, who just got his license off the internet, who can now legally marry me. And even though I'm Catholic, I just, I don't want to deal with, uh, the beach sounds much more appealing than, than going inside a church and doing all this formality stuff. Uh, the church says, we you you should be getting married inside a church with you know a congregation present if if possible. Um, why? What, what's the importance? What's the big deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple of facets. Let's start with the most important one. Marriage is meant to be a vocation that you're, you know, that you you receive from the Lord. You and another person are united for life, right? A destination wedding, as even just the terminology difference there emphasizes is emphasizing one particular day, one particular ceremony, one particular cool moment and great pictures on a beach. But what about the rest of life? Marriage is meant to be a sacrament that we're celebrating that first day, day one of your, you know, on your wedding day. But then every single day from then on is meant to be this great adventure together in following after the Lord in this particular way. So, so much of what the church teaches about marriage is 
going to keep in mind that truth, that this has to be something that we're preparing a person well for, because we're not just prepping for one day. We're not just setting up photographers and food. We're setting up someone for an entire life to be lived. Uh, some two people, right, that are meant to be united as one. So that's like, I think, maybe a, a first sort of basic um, principle that we'll hold on to and we'll come back to again and again throughout this conversation. Perhaps the other one is, why the church? Why the rigmarole? Why do you have to come in here? You've got to have witnesses and the priests and, you know, this stuff. Two points. The first is, again, the sacredness of that marriage, that it's meant to be something that takes place in a church because it's meant to be something that's sacred, that's um, sacramental, you know. To do it on a beach loses sight of the fact that God has called these two people to unite together in marriage and in, in marital love uh, for the sake of their own good, their own salvation, and that of those around them, and particularly if they're blessed with children, for their children, right? Um, to have a destination wedding, again, kind of undermines and forgets about that entire kind of um, grace-filled, you know, nature of, of marriage. Secondarily, there's the, the practical point. The church wants to d- defend um, those two, the, the dignity of those two people. And especially in history, many times before modern means of communication and posting things on, on Facebook and whatnot, um, you could have a person that would get married to somebody and they don't like them much, so they run off and, you know, gallivant to another town someplace and are like, hey, find another gal and, like, let's get married. It's like, well, how are you going to know whether or not they, that guy had already been married if you didn't have an official place where he got married and a record where that was kept and so that, you know, the next town along the line can go, hold on a second, dude. Like, we got record that, we got record more than that. We have a church that, like, the parish saw you get married and commit yourself to that woman. Um, you're not going to run off and, and, you know, right. Yeah, ditch her. And, and, and one thing that, that I've heard said so beautifully is when you get married, there's three people involved. There's you, your spouse, and God. And a destination wedding on a beach, I mean, Jesus is not, I mean, Jesus is present spiritually, but, you know, at a, at a Catholic church, he is there physically present with us. Sure. And so that, that, the, the real, the, you know, he's present there. I'm, I'm making my vows to my, my future spouse in the presence of Jesus Christ is a very powerful thing and very critically important. Yeah. It's part of all vocations are a, a way that we commit ourselves to loving something like how Jesus loved. And so the fact that you'd be married in the church at a mass um, where his love is poured out for us, one, that's a sustenance, a great, you know, grace for those two married you know, people getting married, but it's also the model that they're trying to live up to. St. Paul talks in Ephesians to um, both the, the husband and the wife, and in many ways, he's calling them both to a Christ-like love, you know, a love that would take them even to the sacrifice of their own life for the sake of their beloved. That's what Christ did for all of us, and it's what a married couple is meant to do for each other. So how do you live up to that love? Well, you have to start with him in mind, and you have to uh, start with his presence in your in your marriage. What about an outdoor mass? So it's maybe not a destination, but you know, hey, I live on a farm, and the farm is important to me. And um, you know, Father, can you come? I, you know, we're both Catholic. Can you can you come? And we're gonna it's it's, it's going to look just like it, except it's just not in a, a physical church. Is that all? That's also problematic. Is that even the word problematic? I guess so. Um, the the bishop can give a dispensation. It's called from canonical form. Usually that would be given in the case where, let's say, um, a couple wanted to get married in a, a Protestant church, or it could be perhaps a, a location of, as, as you kind of said. And it can be given, but it's not often given. Why? Because there's something important about that couple going to their parish 
and starting their married life there. Uh, it'd be like me when I was getting ordained saying to the bishop, like, hey, I've got like this favorite spot on my family farm. Like, you know, it's, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've had many good memories there. Can we just do the ordination there? It'd be a family event. Like everybody can kind of come and like, it'd be fun. It'd be like, yeah, but it's not about me, right? Hmm. It's not supposed to be all the things that I have in mind. It's supposed to be what God has in mind. Um, I'm laying down my life as a priest for him and for his church. Same thing for a married couple. Like the, the man is laying down his life for his spouse and for the good that God calls them both together uh, in his church, in his, in his world, in his kingdom, and she the same, right? So I think, again, perhaps the liturgy and the, the location of that liturgy itself should be that place of, okay, this isn't all about me, and I've got to, you know, kind of lay that down at the feet of our Lord and trust that he's got more graces and blessings bestowed on me, you know, in this way than it would be if everything went according to my plan. I have a, a an, little anecdote. Um, married couple got married. A good friend of mine was the, the husband, and they were planning their marriage for March or April this past year. Obviously, coronavirus and everything hit, and so along with many other couples, they're debating about, like, do we postpone? Do we just do a small ceremony? Like, what do we do? And I think what they ended up doing was absolutely beautiful. Um, they decided to have their marriage at the time they planned it, um, it really was limited to, like, a couple of family members and the priest, you know? So, like, not a big shindig. They got married, and they've lived these last six months as husband and wife during trying times, right? But just a couple weeks ago, they were able to finally have, like, a reception and kind of a, a celebration of sorts. And it was beautiful to see the fact that they had been willing to sacrifice all the flowers and fun and speeches and toasts and dancing and everything. They said, that's not the most important thing here. The most important thing is that we start our married life together, as the Lord has called us to, and in his good time, perhaps the, the fun and the enjoyment and the, the, you know, all of those kind of things can come as well, but we're going to start with the most important thing first, and that's giving ourselves to each other in the front, in the, you know, in the, um, in the presence of God, in the presence of a couple of family members, and that's enough, you know, and start there, so... Um, so I did have a question about, I think just a minute ago, you said something about their parish. So I have heard that um, a couple, um, if they're going to a church and they've established their parish, that is where they should be married. Except like really, when you look, I feel like it, culturally, you get, typically you get married at the woman's childhood parish. And so then there's that distinction. And I always think, um, I went to Notre Dame and um, it's, it's a big deal to get married at the Basilica. And I'm not going to lie, that's where I wanted to be married too. Um, so it's like, this. okay, there's this, you know, grand place. Is, is that wrong then for people to be like, well, we're going to get married at her church. Or we're going to get married at said church over here. I mean, it's a church. Sure, sure, sure. I think that the church, um, you know, capital C church, Catholic church, expects like the most important thing is to get married in a Catholic church not necessarily the particular Catholic church, you know, isn't so much the focus. So I think you do see couples that uh, they want to get married in a beautiful church or they want to get married in a childhood church, right? Or um, by a priest that's a good friend of the family or something like that. All of those things are are fine. Um, there's a way to kind of, when you're in marriage prep, the, the priest will talk to you about like how to arrange that because, you know, if I want to go, you know, I'm a, let's say I'm a friend of somebody that's getting married and they want to get married, you know, over in whatever, Indiana, because that's where they're from or something. Um, I could go and celebrate the wedding there, but I would have to get permission from the pastor of that church to be able to do it validly. Um, I can't just go and marry somebody anywhere and everywhere, right? So as a priest, I have to have the, you know, follow the right kind of protocol to make sure that records are kept again and, and like, 
I'm not stepping on somebody else's toes. It's kind of a perfunctory sort of thing. You know, I write a letter and it's, it's almost always like granted, like pastors like, sure. Yeah, not a problem. So it's again, the, tr- the fact that it's not that big of a deal, I think indicates that the church doesn't see it as a problem. Um, the, the underlying mentality is the one that's most important, you know, is like, do I have in mind what God has in mind for, for my marriage? Well, what's so interesting when you said earlier, it almost, it really crystallized it for me when you brought up your example of, well, hey, Bishop Apraki, can you ordain me at, at my family farm? Like, that just to me tells me like, well, no, that, that's, that seems weird to me. Doesn't it? But it's so, it's, it's, the parallels are, well, that's your vocation. Yeah. Well, this is my vocation. So that's why they are parallels, like getting married in a church, just like you are ordained in a church. Like that example was, it was almost like an extreme thing that really I think can help crystallize people. And, and I think the way you said it so beautifully, Father Dominic, is I think so many people who, who go through pre-Cana, and we're going to talk about pre-Cana in a little bit, they just look at these as rules. But when they understand the symbolism and the, the rationale and Jesus present and the looking at it as a vocation and why things have to, we like things the way they are, it's just, I, it's just so beautiful to see, you know, the church just doesn't make rules to make rules. Yeah. There, are, there are sincere, beautiful reasons behind them. I really want to encourage uh, everybody listening today. To, yeah, if you find yourself running up against something, you're like, man, the church just has this red tape. Like, the church oh, is wrong on marriage, right? Dig, oh, dig deep. That's a, <laughs> um, but like really uh, think through why it is that the church has chosen to, to you know, ask that of you. Because it's, it's almost certainly meant to be a gift for you and your spouse um, to be able to live your marriage as best you can, right? To make that a beautiful and fulfilling vocation, you know, to be able to follow the Lord in that. Um, the, the church has over centuries and centuries found the best ways to do that. And so the, the, the things that are required of you are meant to be protecting your dignity and the dignity of, of your marriage. So uh, trust in that, you know, and then, and, and, uh, yeah. Now, now let's talk about uh, another aspect that can, that can come up is, is marrying a non-Catholic, whether uh, if he or she is Christian but not a Catholic or just a non-Christian. Now, if, if you are Catholic and you're marrying a non-Catholic but a Christian, you just need permission from the pastor. Right. If you are marrying a non-Christian, you need a dispensation from the local bishop. Um, obviously, those are, those are some, you know, permission versus dispensation. Boy, I hear that as, you know, I really love this person. She's non, non-Catholic but, or non-Christian. Like, well, that almost sounds like, oh, like I need a dispensation. I mean, talk, talk us through that process of, of, of why the church, again, does the, what she does in terms of, of those certain aspects. Sure. So, again, the church's wisdom tells her that um, when the couple, the, the you know, to-be husband and wife, are united on the things that are most important, that's going to make the best marriage. So, I mean, I think if you, if you look at any number of examples, um, including faith, right, but just like um, their understanding of what a family is, their agreement on how we're doing finances, you know, like fertility stuff, like all those like big, deep questions that are huge parts of married life. If you find that you have like disagreement on one of those big issues, you're going to have difficulty down the road, like hashing those things out and living as a unity of one, right? And so I think that's where the church's wisdom says, okay, if, if your, your faiths are different, okay, we need to think about this. How are, we going, how are you going to live as, as husband and wife and to be on the same page in terms of living out your own faith, right, with integrity to your own, your own conscience, your own beliefs, your own profession? 
Um, but at the same time, you're paired up, you're, you're yoked with another person. And if they're in a radically different understanding of who God is, how he works, what's he calling you to, um, that's gonna, you're going to be butting heads a lot. You know? And so the church, whenever that comes up, sort of is kind of like, press pause, let's think this through, right? So there's, there's room for, okay, you have a beautiful relationship, you've had those conversations you need to have, you understand how you're going to raise kids, how you're going to make those decisions, what you're doing on Sunday morning, okay, we can move forward, right? It's not an impossibility, but it's something that we want to take a step back, take a deep breath, and make sure we're heading into in the right way. Uh, it's not a question of, you know, the person that marries, a, the Catholic that marries a non-Catholic, is it, there's no, like, sin there, but it's a question of kind of wisdom or prudence, like, are we rightly prepared, are we rightly disposed to be able to make this relationship still work? Uh, and so that's why the church has those, you know, can give a dispensation, if need be, for a non-Christian, or can give permission, if need be, if it's a, a non-Catholic. Um, yeah. Now let's talk about pre-Cana. So you know, pre-Cana, this is, it kind of goes along with, with what you just said, Father Dominic. Pre-Cana, the class uh, that everyone has to take before they get married, it, you know, goes through a whole, a whole, whole sorts of issues. Um, I, there are so many couples. I mean, I, I obviously attended pre-Cana. There were probably about 20, 24 couples in there, and it definitely seemed like the vast majority were there simply because they had to, and they were there to check a box. And that's really unfortunate because there was, a, there was plenty of beauty in it. And it's interesting because in my experience of pre-Cana, there were, there were two questions that really, um, that, were, that were very fascinating to me that, that came up. Uh, one of them was, if your spouse cheated on you, like, what would you do? And that's something I never thought of because what about soon-to-get-married couple thinks, well, what happens if my spouse is about to cheat on me? How, how am I going to take that? What am I going to do? Like, if you're thinking like that, it's like, maybe you shouldn't get married if you yeah, have yeah. doubts. But it's like, that's the sort of stuff, though, like the importance of pre-Cana. Um, and, and, and my eyes were very much open because I, I never thought about that. And we, Rachel and I, had to, we, you had to. It's like, we're, we have to talk this through right now. How would you feel? And so that was very fruitful to get on the same page. And we were, we were both obviously very much wrestling with this question because we're like, we're horrified looking at each other. You're going to cheat on me? Oh, my gosh. Well, what do we do? And, and we had to rough, wrestle with it and get to it. Another question, which I thought was fascinating, is at what dollar amount does your spouse have to call you to say if I can purchase something on a whim. So you're at Best Buy, and yeah, this looks pretty cool. What's that, what's that threshold to say, hey, can I get this or not? Uh, and, and so, like, you know, again, if, if we weren't doing pre-Cana, I mean, those are just two examples of, of I think, important questions, <laughs> important questions, and, and a whole thing. you got to change your thought process. And I think some people go into pre-Cana thinking, check the box. I already know everything there is. This is whatever. If you, if you actually dive into it, it's going to be very fruitful and set you off on, on important conversations to have. Yeah, for sure. What I often tell the couples that I'm preparing for marriage when I, you know, I tell them about, like, hey, you need to sign up for one of the pre-Cana days and uh, you know, here, here's something about it. I usually encourage them with that thought of, like, look, you guys have probably known each other for a good while. You know, especially our, our couples these days are usually a little bit older than they have been maybe in the past. So maybe they've been dating for five, six, seven years. Like, they know each other really well. But have you actually, like, taken a question like that and sat down and looked at each other in the eyes and said, let's talk about this for 10 minutes? You know, it's easy to talk about kind of the day-to-day stuff that doesn't actually, you know, weigh on you, that doesn't actually challenge you, that doesn't actually, you know, confront uh, those places in your relationship that you're not on the same page, right? But to take those, those really deep and, and hard questions and say, okay, we're going to actually have a conversation about this is to allow them to grow in that relationship to a place where they can actually get married, you know? 
And once again, that day of pre-Cana, it's meant to sort of give them that, that fuller kind of freedom, you know, of actually giving themselves entirely to the other person. Because if you haven't gone through that, if you haven't talked about some of those harder issues, if you haven't confronted the, the bigger vision of the church's idea of marriage and God's idea of marriage, then you're stepping into something you don't understand, right? You're stepping into something that you don't, either you don't understand the other person that you're doing it with as well as you should, or you don't understand the mystery of the sacrament as well as you should. Um, to get an understanding, to get an appreciation uh, of those things on a deeper level, which is what that day is all about, allows you all the more joy and all the more you know, freedom and all the more um, ability to enter into that marriage well. When you talk to young couples and you're, you're doing marriage prep with them, I'll ask this question a couple ways. It, it, is, it, is there ever like a common theme that couples are maybe going into marriage with, well, there's one thing where their mindset may be, they need to look at differently or is there one pitfall that you you see some couples when you're talking to that you try to you know guide them what what is like an over if you if you had to give like a i'm a, i guess like advice to to a, a, a potential you know these people are going through marriage prep what's what's something that you you see a lot of that boy you know we we need to change we need i need to get through to you because because this is not the way you guys should be thinking about that putting you out of the spot yeah no good <laughs> good 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 i think a couple of things one is that whenever you ask anybody for like, hey, what's your best advice? You know, you ask a couple that's been married for 50 or 60 years. Like, what's your best advice for getting married? Almost every single time it comes down to we've learned how to communicate well, you know. And so many times people walk away from our pre-Cana days and they're like, the biggest takeaway is not the one that would have come up on my mind. You know, like the, the big presentation I gave on, you know, forgiveness or on, you know, the, the ceremony of the wedding or the vows that you make or, the, you know, all these different things. But communication, it's like communication, that was the big piece that, that struck home for me today. I don't think they're far off. I think it's a, it's a tremendous challenge of all of us today to stay in consistent, deep communication with another person. I was kind of just getting to it there with my previous answer. But I think it, it comes down to that of like we've gotten so accustomed to like quick little like, you know, just just the, the Snapchat, you know, like text message kind of way of, of, of talking back and forth with somebody and we never open our heart. We never open our soul. We, we never uh, open ourselves to the other person. And that's dangerous when you're married to the other person because they don't know you fully, right? Um, and the deepest desire of our hearts, I think, is to be known, uh, to be loved in that way. And if as a married couple, you've never learned how to make that happen, how to actually be vulnerable with your spouse, um, it short-circuits that ability for them to actually love you, right? Mm. Um, a second piece I think that I, I try so hard uh, to bring home to my couples is the necessity of praying together, of having a faith that they can live together. Um, again, it comes down to something of what we're facing in a culture today. We like to be individualistic. We like to be on our own. We like to have things together just for myself. I've got everything, you know, figured out. And marriage is the opposite of that. It's saying, I can't do life alone. I'm going to do it with this other person. And I think if the most important part of our life, which is our relationship with the Lord, is not sustained together as a couple, then once again, we're kind of like, we're disrupting or, or, or uh, corroding that ability to actually be in union with God. You know, because we've, we've said it's about me, not about God or not about this other person that I'm, I'm joined with. Um, how frequently do our couples pray together? Do they open the Bible and reflect back and forth what the, the, how the Lord is speaking to them? You know, what's he doing in their life? Where's, where is the Holy Spirit moving them, to, you know, for their family, for their 
uh, for their job? You know, are those decisions made together with each other as well as together with the Lord? Um, that's, the, that's the deepest bond that they can have is their union together with the Lord. I, I heard the image one time, you know, if God's here and you've got two individuals here and they're trying to get closer to each other, the best way to do it is for them to both draw closer to God. And if you're praying together, there's, there's no better way than, you know, bringing that triangle closer and closer together until both you and your spouse are in the presence of God in heaven. That's the goal. So Now, when it comes to um, another issue where the culture says the church has just got it wrong, and Pre-Cana touches on this, and you talk about conversation, natural family planning slash contraception. Um, you mentioned right out of the top that one of the aspects of marriage is life-giving. Contraception, by its very nature, is non, non-life-giving. But, of course, the culture still says, what, what, what is the big deal here, Father? Like, we, we do love each other. Like, we're, we are good people. We're, you know, but it's like, what, what seriously is wrong with, with contraception? Why go through this whole rigmarole of natural family planning? The church's teaching on this is always, for many, for many people, it's a hard one because our culture is so opposite. It, it just assumes that you use contraception. There's just no, you know, there's not even another uh, thought about it. But contraception is to say to the other person, like, I love most of you, but not that part of you, not your fertility, not your fecundity, uh, not your motherhood or your fatherhood. I don't want that part, right? Um, it's to say that's too much of a hassle, that's too much of a burden, that's too much of a problem. You know, it's going to get in, in my way or in the way that, you know, we have, you know, our best laid plans. And so contraception, so you're like, well, we can take a pill or, you know, do a surgery that's going to take that out of the way, you know, and we don't have to worry about this anymore. But you've just rejected one of the deepest and most um, beautiful parts of what it means to be in a, a married relationship. And to do so is to cut short the kind of love that you have for each other as spouses. Oftentimes, contraception is sort of just pitted, you know, like as the opposite of natural family planning. But I think natural family planning is far larger. It's not just like, oh, this is the Catholic version of contraception. Like, only if you do, it's not like, you know, people look at it and like, oh, well, it's natural. That's why the church is about it. It's like, well, this is organic, you know, or like, you know, this is, this is, this is not going to hurt, this is not going to hurt the environment or cause sea turtles to we be, you know. We should brand it that way since, you know, everything organic yeah. is all big. Yeah, we should call it like organic family planning yeah. or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. this must be some new thing. Oh, you should check this out. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, we laugh. Perhaps there could be said something about that in, in the, just the damage that's done, especially with the pill and all, all, all the, the ins and outs of that. Um, we don't have time to touch on all of that here. But the church's, but the, the, the proposal of natural family planning is far more than just like, this is natural, not artificial, right? It's, you know how the Bible uses throughout the scriptures, we see um, when a man and a woman come together as man and wife in the marital act. Um, the Bible often describes that as, you know, Adam knew his wife Eve. I want to sort of describe natural family planning with those words, that natural family planning allows the man and the wife to know each other in a fuller and more complete and more beautiful way, um, to know what the woman's body is doing, to know what the, the man is feeling and desiring. Um, John Paul II speaks beautifully of this in both love and responsibility and his theology of the body, how the husband and wife are called in that most intimate of embrace to yearn in order to bring about that union for the sake of the other, so that the other person that they're uniting themselves with in that, that bodily and spiritual way um, might 
you know, receive the, the, the fullest expression of their love. That the man might need to, you know, that means he doesn't just get what he wants uh, in that action. It means the same thing for the woman. Like there's both men, men and women are, are sort of, you know, wired differently. Their bodies work in different ways and that's meant to come together in this beautiful expression of love. And natural family planning is to say, we're going to take the time as a, as a husband and a wife to know each other to such an extent that we can synchronize ourselves, you know, over the course of, you know, days or weeks or months so that that moment of embrace might be full and, and um, beautiful. And in the wisdom of God, that means that every time a man and a woman come together in that way doesn't lead to children. And so the church's wisdom says, okay, that indicates to us that God doesn't mean for humans to just be multiplying as fast as they possibly can, right? Like critters out in the world, to some extent, that's sort of the, the goal, right? Is to have as many offspring so that your whatever, you know, rabbits or crawdads or, you know, like, Crit- I don't know. Critters. You used critters <laughs> once before on I the did. podcast. I, I think <laughs> this have to, I'll have to weave it into every podcast now. Um, but to some extent, the goal is make more of myself so that the population, like, continues, right? Humans aren't in it for just that reason. Um, we're in it because you get to pass on to someone very much like yourself the gift of God's love and being made in his image and likeness. Um, and that's something to be done with great care and with great wisdom and with great, you know, recourse to the Lord in, in terms of its timing and, and everything else. And that's why he made us the way we are, um, mm-hmm. so that our, yeah, uh, a married relationship might, might, you know, lead to that. Yeah, and I know there's, there's still so much more we could say about NFP. Maybe say it for another talk. But also, the, the, there's plenty of physical and medical uh, oh benefits gosh, of practicing NSP versus contraception. Uh, finally, one thing we want to talk about is, uh, again, the, the culture says this is fine. Uh, this is where the church is wrong. But uh, why I can't live with my soon-to-be spouse before I get married? I mean, what's wrong with that? We're about to get married. Or, or even if we're dating, like... Father, isn't it better that I at least kind of try it out? I mean, if we can get along, that that's only that's only going to benefit us in the long run, right? Um, I mean, what's what's wrong with that? Again, it's the question of the day. It's it's the assumption of the vast majority of, of people out there is to say, well, shouldn't I shouldn't I test the test this out? You know, like give it a trial run. Um, but a husband and a wife, a marriage is not the same thing as test driving a new car, and again and again, the statistics show the same thing, is that couples that live together prior to marriage are more likely to get divorced than those that didn't. Um, it seems kind of contrary to our, you know, modern exactly. mentality. Like, like, the numbers were, like, expecting the opposite, right? But I think it comes down to the fact that if you're living together with another person that you're not married to and acting as a husband and wife do, um, you're saying with your body is that, oh, I give myself entirely to you. Like, I want everything of you. But you've not committed to that in a, in a public and official and real way, right? And so it's always the understanding that, oh, well, if this doesn't work out, we can kind of go our separate ways, no harm done. It's like, hold on a second, but what you've said with your body is contrary to what you've been saying here with your words, that, like, this isn't necessarily permanent, right? Um, to enter into that relationship like that, uh, you know, to, to uh, cohabitate, is to try something on that's meant to be carried for the rest of your life, right? And to you, you can't do a trial marriage. <laughs> that's contrary to like the definition of what a marriage is. Uh, and to try to do so is to kind of falsify uh, what you're what you're you know talking about with your spouse. And, say, and, and for me personally, I was I was I was very much pleasantly 
overwhelming. I was just very overwhelmed uh, with joy. You know, the first day my wife and I were oh married and, and you wake up side by side is just, it's an incredible feeling. And day two and day three and day four. And, and it, was, it, was, it was just so new. And I'm so sad when I, when I, you, if I go to a, a, a wedding and you ask the couple, oh, like, or, or you ask them, you ask them a, a few weeks later, how, how's, how's being married? And I hear so many answers. Oh, we lived together beforehand, so yeah, nothing's, really, nothing's really changed. And I'm kind of was like, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. Like there, there, you, you almost, there's almost no joy. You had a celebration, which was, which was fun, but there's nothing part of your life now versus before that is any different. Any different. Yeah. That, that doesn't sound very, doesn't sound very joyful to me. Whereas I, again, for, for me, I, I knew it was going to be obviously exciting, but I was amazed at the amount of just overwhelming joy I had of every day. It just seems so fresh and and real and, 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 and saving, you know, obviously saving yourself both physically and obviously not living together and then yeah. do, and for marriage, it's just marriage becomes this of, of unbelievable joy. But what I think I hear from um, a lot of my friends is it's the saving of money, um, that it becomes really a financial thing. I mean, it's right. Things are expensive. And so living together, it's one home, it's half the bills. They're trying to pay for this big expensive wedding, which you know it is because even a small wedding's probably pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, and then they got to buy a home and it's like, it's a financial, um, you know, a financial move is how I feel like. Yeah. And, and, and that's, 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 that's a part of reality. I, I would say like, if, well, if you weren't, if you weren't married, you were getting along just fine paying your bills and doing everything else. So, I mean, I, to me, it's, it's, it's somewhat, somewhat of an excuse. Now, again, they don't, they don't look at the way we look at it in terms of, you know, the cat, the Catholic church does, but, um, can, can, can a couple then maybe on that note, or is, is it dangerous? Can a couple about to get married live together as brother and sister and even maybe faithfully do that? But is that still dangerous? Yeah. So first a point on the financial thing. And then for your question, Andrew, I think I want to encourage our, our, couples that are in that boat, make the sacrifice, the financial sacrifice, make it for the sake of your future spouse, right? Like, okay, I'm going to be like hurting in terms of finances. Maybe we together will be hurting in terms of finances for the first couple years of our marriage because we got to figure this out now. But it's a worthwhile sacrifice to be made for the sake of, you know, to really give yourself in love to the other person, you know? Uh, Secondarily, yeah, could you live together as brother and sister, you know, not sharing the same bed and uh, holding yourself in that way for marriage? I think hypothetically, yes, but knowing our weaknesses as humans, it's going to be really, really difficult um, to not fall into the temptation uh, that would be there when you're living with somebody that you really love and really want to be attached to in that way. Um, and secondarily, it might be a cause for scandal for those that are looking on and are like, oh my gosh, she's a faithful, like practicing Catholic, but she's living with her boyfriend. Like, I guess that's okay now, right? Like that would be um, cause of, of perhaps injury to Somebody with maybe weaker faith, right, that's watching on is like, oh, I guess that's totally kosher, right? Uh, no, 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 it's not. But they're living in a way that no one would expect them. And so to the public eye, it appears very different than things perhaps are. So I think that's the reason why there'd be a great deal of kind of caution to be, to be said there. That said, if you're uh, uh, a young, you know, two young people that are living together right now listening to this podcast, um, and you're set to get married in a couple of months or, you know, whatever, I want to challenge, I'm going to challenge particularly the, the guy. Like, dude, you can, you can tolerate a sofa for the next couple months. Like, hold yourself back. You know, give, be able to give yourself fully on that the day of your wedding. Um, if you're in the same house and there's no way around it, okay. But, uh, yeah, 
a, a good challenge for, yeah. all, for all the dudes out there. <laughs> for right? all our dudes out there. <laughs> like, come on, man. Man up. Man up. Father Dominic, good to see you. Thanks for your expertise. We're calling you an expert now. Now that we got the All right. Down. All right. Uh, this has been Dive Deep. Thank you so much. Uh, if you'd like more podcasts, head on over to dieout.org slash podcast. This is our fourth season, so we got plenty more that we've done before all this, including some topics on NFP and contraception. If you want to take a look at those. Until next time, we'll see you here on Dive Deep.